Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's go back to 2011 with Squidge. Let's look at the World Cup again with Squidge. Hello and welcome back to the Squid Rugby Rugby World Cup Rugby World Cup Rugby Ram. Um, what's it called? Retrospective. I it's rugby. normally rugby. Yeah, I normally write an introduction, but I've actually I'm coming on to record this podcast straight after interviewing Shane Williams, who is my like absolute all time favorite player, and that kind of took all the space in my head that was that was kind of being taken for writing an introduction. So I haven't written one. So apologies. My name's. Robbie, but I I go by Squidge on occasion. And joining me today, we have as ever uh, Will Owen, who some may know as your brother, but I hope people are learning my name by now. And alongside as well, joining us a special guest, uh, Sam Langer. Of I'm not related to you, so this is a, <laughs> it's a change. But I um, do some stuff for for Rugby World magazine, uh, Planet Rugby, hmm. and I was. Uh, over in Japan for the World Cup, mm. doing stuff for the World Cup website as well. Fantastic. Do you miss Japan as much as I do? I do. I do. I'm, I must admit, the I was a bit wary, well, not wary, but it, it wasn't really on my hit list of places to go to before mm. I set off. And then, obviously, when someone's paying for you to go there, it's, it's, it's it goes up higher than the list. Yeah. So it was it was great. I, I absolutely loved it, and the food there just a consistent consistent mm. good food. And just being kind of surrounded by rugby every day, it, it oh, never yeah. actually got too much for me. But given that we now have no rugby, it, it was such a <laughs> nice. It was such a nice few weeks. My favorite thing was every single street seemed to have the same lineup picture, and it was a really undynamic looking lineout. But because you knew that was the one they scored off, Japan scored off against the Springboks. You kind of you knew, and there's a little grin to yourself every time I saw it. Did they have any billboards with the pictures of Michael Leach doing the dramatic scrum formation, panting <laughs> like was on the the Brighton Miracle? There were bins with Michael Leach scoring his try against South Africa on them and little like power boxes and so on. It was amazing. It was great. Never have malls been so celebrated. Yeah, we, we were based just outside the Canterbury shop and they mm. that started off and you could go in there and buy kind of any size of Japan shirt you wanted to in the first couple of, couple of days before the World Cup. And then as soon as Japan beat Russia... There was mm. limited sizes. As soon as they beat Ireland, there was nothing thing. For, the, for all the time I was there, I was there till the quarterfinals. You could not find a, a Japan jersey at all. Likewise. I went to try and buy a Japan jersey the day of that opening game. I woke up, I'd done like a squid rugby meetup thing the previous night, and I woke up really hungover, and I kind of then just went, you know what, I, I'm too hungover. I don't want to take a chance on food today. So I googled, where's the closest place doing fish and chips? I arrived, they served the fish and chips with chopsticks, and then, which was not, that was not what I was looking for when I was trying to work through it, and then I decided that I'm just going to walk around and try and find a Japan shirt somewhere, and I couldn't. I eventually bought one in the train station, because it was the only place <laughs> I found that didn't have Japan shirts sold out. They were gone. I remember after the Scotland game, when Japan won that, 
I straight away, straight after the final whistle, went onto Google and looked for Japan rugby shirts, and there was nothing. And I was searching like dark corners of the internet that you don't want to go on, <laughs> and there were no Japan shirts anywhere to be seen. Well, this I know this will particularly annoy you, Squidge, but mm. I went to um, I, I met uh, Ben Coles, who is now at mm. the Telegraph, I think, but he gave me my first shot at Plant Rugby, mm. and. Um, Whilst I was waiting for him, I went to the to the big Canterbury shop in yeah. wherever it was in, in Tokyo, and I saw the Uruguay shirt, and I thought, oh great, I, I really want that shirt. It looks beautiful, but I don't need to get it now. I'll just come back here, you know, a, a, a few years yeah. later. Never went back, so I still oh. the Uruguay rugby shirt. So I, I came so close, but uh, <laughs> to go. See, I'd seen those in the big Rugby World Cup mega store, and then I was away. I wasn't in Tokyo during that game. I'd been to the Wales game against Georgia, which is in Toyota. And I knew then I was coming back to Tokyo and I made a beeline the moment I took into my hotel to head to that shop because <laughs> I wanted the Uruguay shirt and I got the last one they had, bought it there, wore it to Fiji's next game like a true glory supporter. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great day. Uh, we are talking about the wrong World Cup. I don't blame us at all because today, as we run back through the 2011 Rugby World Cup, we are looking at England's opening game against Argentina. And I'll begin with a very simple question. Did we enjoy it? No, uh, I didn't. <laughs> I must admit, I, I, you asked me which games I fancy doing. Hmm. And in my head, this was a nail-biting, absolute corker of a game with hmm. uh, Argentina in the lead and then England clawing their way back, but lots of missed kicks kind of keeping Argentina in it. And I rewatched it um, this morning, and it is not like that. <laughs> no, no, it's so. I when I finished watching the game, I thought to myself, "I'm I'm really tired. I'm just going to go for a quick nap before I get on with the other stuff I've got to do today." And I got into bed and I lay down and I realised I wasn't tired. I was just so bored that I felt tired <laughs> watching it. And I kind of lay there for like ten minutes, then went, "All oh, right, no, I, I'll just I'll just get back up." I remember we've spent like a few days. Not dreading watching this, but considering the first four games that we've covered in this World mm. Cup have all been so good. And at this point we thought, okay, this one's a bit of a come down. But I kind of went into it thinking, no, 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 it's a big game. You know, it's one of the bigger games mm. of the first weekend. It's going to be good. It's it's going to be good. And I talked myself back out of that about half an hour into the game. I was like, no, no, this is going to be it for the rest of it, isn't it? And boy, was it. So the game finished 13-9, which... Sounds low scoring, as you say. It sounds sort of nail biting. But the really remarkable thing about this game is that there were twelve missed shots at goal. If you include the drop goal that Argentina missed as well. Yeah, it's worth keeping in mind that if there was a hundred percent kicking success in this game, the final score would have been thirty mm. twenty eight to Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... In my head, when I was thinking, when I was thinking back to this game, I remember there being lots of missed kicks. And I remember thinking that both uh, Wilkinson and, and Martin Rodriguez, because Contraponia went off after about 20 or so minutes with a... He was getting slowly more and more bandaged up. So <laughs> yeah. he, he, he got tackled and then they put like... A, they iced up his, his size. Mm. And he got tackled again and then they kind of wrapped him up almost like a mummy. Yeah. And he got tackled again and then they put a bit more lapping and then he got tackled again and then he was off. And he so he missed one of his two kicks. He got the one in front of the goal. On the Contopomi injury, 
the moment he goes off, they've suddenly put all of this ice wrapping around his chest under his shirt. So it looks like he's going off because he's got pregnant. Like I thought the exact same thing. I've got to say, Contopomi did not do himself any favours playing fly half and taking that many crash balls. Thinking like, right, yeah. I've got a bit of an injury. And, you know, you, you saw it like with Owen Farrell in the last World Cup, where he got a bit of an injury, dropped a couple of balls against New Zealand, this was yeah. in the semi-final, and then kind of like let George Ford take on a bit more himself. Contopomi with, of course, Santiago Fernandez outside him. He mm. did not do that. He just thought, oh, I'm, I'm a bit injured. Well, I've got to prove I'm hard now. I've got to take it to him. I've got to run into this massive midfield of Tyndall and Tuolangi. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I was interrupting your point about the goal kick. Sorry. Yeah, so the the so in my mind they both had awful games, but actually they watching it. Wilkinson misses some fairly straightforward kicks, hmm. and Martin Rodriguez is giving a succession of near impossible kicks the entire <laughs> game. He is giving. I don't think he has a single one, or, or yeah, maybe maybe a couple, but but most of his kicks are about hmm. fifty to sixty yards out on an angle, yeah. and he constantly misses them, which is kind of what you expect. But at some point, you just think, surely... I mean, Contrapone was a captain, he's gone off. So surely Ledesma's turning around and saying, maybe we kick to the corner. Yeah, mm-hmm. Maybe we just, instead of trying this 60-yard, you know, 10% let's kick to the corner and then mm-hmm. see what happens. But they never do. They never do. They just keep, keep you know, banging their head against a long kick wall. <laughs> I believe it was Albert Einstein who said, the definition of insanity is giving the same kick to Martin Rodriguez over and over again. <laughs> different results. That's the thing. I found it infuriating. Every single time Argentina got just within the England half in the corner, mm. like Nick Easter or somebody would give away another penalty, and you'd just go, oh, for God's sake, knowing that Desmond was about to point at the posts again. Yeah. 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 There's, um, I, I always think it's... Often you'll see those kicks where it's, it's kind of 45 to 50 metres, mm. And you know that the normal fly house looking at that going, I'm on 95%. I don't really want to take this. Stuart yeah. Hogg, have a go. Yeah. Someone else step up and have a go. Dan Bigger's looking at Lee Halfbengi saying, have a go at this because yeah. I'm I'm on 95%. I don't really want to let this go. But but Martin Rodriguez just keeps getting called up time after time. to just lunging to basically, a, you know, just nothing, just <laughs> kicking to something you can never get. So the thing is, though, when they bring off Contopomi, when he goes off injured, the guy they bring on is Marcelo Bosch, who is a long-range goal-kicking specialist, and they don't give him a single shot. They just keep giving it to Rodriguez, who misses time after time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's breathtakingly got two, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I guess a lot of averages is that two of your <laughs> seven will really get through, but, but I mean, well, well done to him, because you, you, you have to think, when you come out of a World Cup game, and you've got two from seven kicks. He must be the only person who's done that to go, I actually had quite a good day today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not disappointed with that. Of course, there was a lot of controversy about why this happened, because obviously Wilkinson is a genuinely Mm. reliable kicker. And as you say, like some of them, well, most of them you would expect a kicker of his calibre to get them. But of course, it it was in Forsyth Bar Stadium in Otago, wasn't it? So that's the indoor stadium. So there's no wind or anything to blame on. Power Dome. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) as it's unofficially known. And so there was a lot of conversation about whether it was the ball that was the issue Mm. when this had all summer to warm up with it. And because I can remember there was the football World Cup the year beforehand and there was the incident Mm. with the goalkeeper dropping the ball and it going in. And I'm not sure if they just thought, oh, what can we blame? Wilkinson doesn't just kick the goal. Is it the ball? It must be the ball, right? It must be the wind or something. People in the crowd trying to blow it away from the goal or something. I don't know, but they need something to blame. 
it's not uh, it's not really particularly related to this, but I was doing some doing some research on this game, and um, I'm staying at my parents at the moment in, in lockdown, and they've just come back from New Zealand, a, a trip that was cut short with the lockdown, and uh, they couldn't stay in Dunedin because Elton John was performing at that stadium, and so um, so they they couldn't couldn't find a hotel room. As I say, not related to what we're talking about, but yeah, <laughs> came up today. The uh, yeah. the thing that I did find amusing, going back to kicking though, was I watched it with the ITV coverage, mm. and I think it was Phil Vickley and yes. Nick Mullins, isn't it? Is, yeah. is the main comment. Yeah. And Conchman has a kicker goal. He's the first person to kick a goal, and there's booing, there's whistling, you know, all that kind of carry on. Which, yeah, you know, without wanting to start a debate, I, I don't care about like. Yeah. Five, you know, you pay fifty quid for the ticket. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but then uh, Wilkinson lines up. He has the second kick. He lines up his kick. Exactly the same thing happens, mm. and they're both talking. Both Fickley and Mullins are talking about this is like it being. It's like it's Buenos Aires. It's you know the crowd's so so aggressive, yeah. and it's you know Wilkinson is going to want to show them by kicking the ball over. Then it goes back to Conchmoney's second. Oh, actually, it's Rodriguez has his first kick mm. before Conchmoney has his second kick. So Rodriguez lines up his kick. Exactly the same noise. Exactly the same booing, jeering. Not a word. Wilkinson then eventually has his second kick. More noise. Isn't this like Buenos Aires? They're celebrating like it's uh, that they've just won independence. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do make that point of they're celebrating like it's Independence Day, and I did yeah. kind of start like a a Falklands mentions count. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the games where Martin Gilliam's commentator have been keeping count of how many times he mentions Nottingham because it's at least four in every game so far. <laughs> and I was a bit like in every Argentina game, I'm going to need to worry about how many times they either say Crimea River or they mention the Falklands. Yes, yes. <laughs> there was, of course, the moment with Phil Vickery when he said, come on, England, as Ben Young scored the try. He says it twice. He Does says it? it in the line in the lead up. He says, uh, he kind of stutters and goes, oh, well, uh, all I can say now is, come on, England. And then Nick Mullins kind of picks it up and goes, you know, well, obviously Argentina, a hardworking team. And, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. and then, yeah, when Ben Young scores the try that we've all been waiting our entire lives for, uh, just because I remember that came near the end of the game and it meant I was almost done. Ben Young scores and Mullins kind of goes, Youngs, there's light at the end of the tunnel and whatever. And then there's kind of a pause, and he clearly throws to Vickery wanting some expert insight, and he just kind of <laughs> stutters and goes, come on, England! And it's like, I love Phil Vickery. He's a, yeah. he's a really top guy, but he commentary wasn't his forte, was it? Yeah, impartiality isn't something that crossed his mind. I love Phil Vickery as well. He's one of those England players I really adopted when watching back Lions footage, but... Mm. Yeah, as I say, nobody told him to seem uh, like unbiased before starting that commentary. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also a great bit at the start of the game uh, where they where Danny Kerr is in the studio because mm. it's, uh, of course, it's literally Wigglesworth who starts and then Ben Youngs obviously comes on, scores a try and kind of from that game really cements himself back in the England yeah. nine jersey, really. Forever. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but um, <laughs> Danny Kerr's in the studio and... The um, I forget who is it. Giant Vidal is he the, the guy? Steve Ryder. Ryder. Like, okay. Steve Ryder. And well, I've said this before, but I only remember because he's mentioned in Alan Partridge's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> it is. He is a little bit forgettable. I mean, he's yes. kind of he's kind of one of many people who 
who filled that role, who you don't yeah. quite know what the movie is, but um, <laughs> but he he kind of says, uh, "Oh, what what was the talk about in the England camp before this game?" Mm. And Danker <laughs> says, "We we want to win." And you think, "Well, <laughs> don't start. Like, Good start. Whatever they're paying you is too much for that kind of thing." <laughs> Do you want my favourite comment from pre-match? <laughs> Which... Lawrence Delalio is talking about Argentina, which is a, a nice thing they talk about the the, uh, the opposition. And Delalio says, "Well, Argentina in two thousand and seven, they were very much an aging side." It's like, dude, you were captain of that England team in two thousand and seven. <laughs> like, you were the captain, and you think they were an aging side? Also, did they ask for his comments on the Argentina team of four years prior? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Argentinian football team of nineteen ninety eight. He could, he could give. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, random. Just you know, the Argentinian basketball side of uh, eighteen twenty-two were particularly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The other comment I noted down from the punditry was Francois Pinar is talking about the ten England players who are playing the first World Cup match, and he says there are ten stomachs fluttering on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Which I like the fact that he skipped part of that metaphor. He skipped the butterflies there. And also, that implies this image of butterflies on steroids. <laughs> These massively muscular, like, James Haskell butterflies. <laughs> I've just accidentally made an allegation against James Haskell. Um, I didn't mean it as that. But just these incredibly muscular butterflies who come up to you and just nut you. Doing vance to each park. other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bet you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Your life's been only four days. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be worth that much in Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> That's vaguely topical. Yeah, there, there's also a, a particularly enjoyable bit where um, where Courtney Laws, a, a very young-looking Courtney Laws, actually, although mm. it was only eight years ago, he's fairly youthful. Mm. Um, he, I forget who it is now, but he completely destroys. Is it Gonzalo Chaser? Is it just before half time? Yeah, I think it. Usually, Laws' victims went either the nine or ten and don't have the ball. So, <laughs> yeah, it actually might have been the one that actually it forced Chiesa, Conte yes. off. Oh, that one, yeah, when Chase goes off, yeah. yeah, yeah, and kicks it, yeah. So he he kicks through Chase, kicks through a little grubbling to the corner, and the ball's gone, and Courtney Laws absolutely destroys. It's a great tackle, absolutely destroys him. But you do look at that and go, that is that's just Courtney Laws. That hmm. is Courtney Laws, a much smaller person slightly too late and it's now going to make a YouTube video it's going to make a highlight video <laughs> and people are going to be convinced that he is a massive big hitting top defender but it, it, I was watching that and going you just kind of need to, if someone says what is Courtney Laws it's kind of that 20 seconds of that clip and then yep. the Argentine guy staying down holding his side and kind of wondering why the hell he ever took up rugby but it is <laughs> it's, particularly, uh, it's particularly Laws in a nutshell my favourite thing about that is Laws makes that tackle and it's kind of, it's one of those that you look at and it looks late, but it's not, you know, it's an entirely fine yeah. legal tackle, but it because it's hard and because he's just kicked it, it looks bad. And then moments later when Argentina regathered the ball, he then does exactly the same thing on the Desma and both players stay down injured. And leaves with his knees as like well on the Desma. Two minutes between it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's classic Courtney Laws, this kind of de- yeah. demolition job. Yeah, well, he he forces uh, Chazy off, but then Ledesma goes off and comes back on again, doesn't he? Is that is that Ledesma? Oh no, it's so it's oh it's uh, Fagasio, I think. Oh, Ventero, yeah, yeah. I'm a uh, I'm merging all my yeah. Like we say, it was quite a boring game. <laughs> yeah, 
and merging all that. To be fair, though, as well, it's worth saying that tackle on Ledesma by Wigglesworth, tri-saver, like, mm. from a, a nine on a hooker, mm. that's pretty empowering to nines all around the world. <laughs> yeah. It, I also, like we said earlier, with Ben Young's then take over the mantle, is, it's, you know, it's, it was a great last act, and it wasn't his last, it, was, it wasn't actually his last act by Willsworth, mm. but to go out with that particular tackle mm. was, yeah. was quite good. Yeah. There's also, I think it's worth now hovering on Argentina when they got close to the try line. Because it only happened three or four times, and every time it was it was infuriating. Yeah. Because yes, they were missing their shots at goal, but they're also blowing chances near the line over and over again. Yeah, I I love watching Argentina, but they are a, a team who are who are frequently hard to watch because I guess the context of this game was that this was the World Cup before they then joined the rugby championships, mm. so. They've obviously come off 2007 where they can't really announce themselves as, as winners. Although, back in 2002, my first ever Welsh game was when Argentina beat Wales at the Millennium <laughs> Stadium. I think, I think 2002 might be 2001. But, um, uh, but yeah, but, so Argentina were, were getting to the rugby championship. But sometimes when you watch them, they just beautiful free flowing, ship the ball to the wing. Charge around, quick recycling, ship it to the other wing, score on the corner. It's absolutely beautiful to watch. Mm. Sometimes it is unbelievably turgid. Yeah. Uh, even if it's one out runners, or it's pick and goes, or they are shipping the ball, but they're not going anywhere. They're just moving yeah. all the way to the mm. wing, tackle, all the way back to the other wing, tackle. And it's just, th- this game was a little bit like that. There's moments of brilliance, but most of it is, is really bad, boring, one dimensional attack. Yeah, and honestly, I think it's a really good Argentine team that they've got out. And I looked at the, t- the lineups and thought, this Argentina team should have really put some points on England. Like you've got in the pack alone, you've got Roncero, Ledesma, Albacete, and the back three of Fris Cabello, Leguizamon, and Lobe. Like that's a formidable pack you've got right there. Mm. And yet, England gave them loads of penalties, and all Argentina would do with the ball is just go a short pod side to side and not work yeah. to an edge or anything. And it was infuriating to watch. And you're thinking, you've got so many good players, good playmakers in the back line as well, you know, two good high-level wingers. And yet they did nothing with it. Decent players came off the bench as well. And it was so, so infuriating to watch because England tried to hand them that game so many times. Yeah. yeah. There's a moment near the start of the game where I've just got written in my notes in all caps, how have Argentina not scored? Because... I thought that just after half-time. <laughs> so... Basically, they kind of they, they do this lovely stuff and they get down to the five meter line, and England have got no guard set. And then when they do get one in place, it's Wilkinson who stood like a few inches off from the the base. They've got no one actually watching. If they just put the ball down to the side, if either one of the forwards just picking went or the scrum half just went pop Reese Webb style, just dotted it down, it would have been a try right from the beginning. They would have been ten nil up. Well, no, they would have missed a conversion, but much Rodriguez would take it from sixty yards back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would take it from his own half just to show off. But yeah, like it was. Like Johnny Wilkinson was famously a great defender, one of the best defensive tens you'll ever see. But he's not the guy you want defending a ruck, or defending a ruck an inch out. Like any of those Argentine forwards should have scored there. But instead, they just kind of wait with the ball in the ruck for ages and they just kind of fumble yeah. it between each other. And then Cabello tries to dive over the top, like NFL style. And lose the ball, obviously, because it was the one place where England had defenders was in the ruck. And if they'd gone to either side, they'd have scored. 
and it drove me. And there's another chance right at the end of the game as well. Where... Yeah, so when Bosch makes the break up, there's 22. Oh there's, oh, there's two. Yeah, so there's the one where Bosch makes a break on, there's a really poor chase on an England kick, where Ashton kind of, for some reason, they pass it into Ashton to clear. He thumps it long, and England chase on every part of the field other than where Ashton kicked the ball. <laughs> so they've got this kind of gathered line for two thirds of the field, then this massive gap. And yeah, Marcelo the Bosch makes a lovely break. They have like these two mad passes, and Imhoff almost scores on the corner, but doesn't. Yeah. There's that first moment when, uh, I forget who it is now, but almost uh, after the first England penalty where Contrapani mm. does kick it, um, and then Ashton have a few phases close to the line and get you know within maybe four inches of, of getting over, but then can't quite. But there's a great moment where Contrapani gets the ball, and up until then, for the next kind of, I guess, quarter of an hour that he's on, he's just moving the ball wide, normally yeah. via a one miss to, to the outside centre. But he gets the ball and he just goes in a straight line, fixes the defence, ends up blowing himself, but he he's, you know, fixes the defence, is looking for options that wise. And you think, oh, this is going to be exciting because Contrapani has realised that he can do this now against England uh, defence. And they kind of just stop then. That's kind of it, really. That's, they've, 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 kind of, they've seen what works and they've gone, hang on, I think we're going to go back to the one-out bungers. And the <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing that really annoyed me because every time Argentina made a line break, they wouldn't then supply quick ball off the back of it and look to play wide or anything. They'd get there, they'd arrive at the line break breakdown and they'd sort of think, right, okay, now we can go to play our forwards. And that's fine if you do it with some tempo before the defence is set. But they would always almost just wait for England to get back and be like, are you ready now, lads? Can we, can we pass it to our fat lad wearing six so we can run into you? And yeah, as I say, like this game plan that I'd criticised would maybe be fine if it was played with any sort of pace or subtlety. But... Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I agree. I, I don't think England were particularly impressive either. I mean, I think that World Cup, they were they were quite dull. Um, mm. There's one. There's a great moment where Foden, it's probably in the first 20 minutes, I think, Foden makes a beautiful play out of, his, out of his half and just goes straight through the Argentinian defence. It's one of, it's definitely the first exciting moment. I think it's one of maybe two exciting moments of the game, but he <laughs> makes a great break. He um, he might have Ashton on the far side, but he has he has Dylan Armitage, who I think has a really good game. Um, yeah. and I think yeah. is, is so. I used to growing up near Leeds, I used to spot the Leeds Tykes, and I remember watching him when he was part of London Irish, probably when he was twenty or twenty one, and just thinking he's quality. But he, but both of them, instead of running towards where Fogan is, almost stay as far away as they can. I mean, Armitage yeah. is almost in the, in the stand, and so Fogan has to make a pass about a metre away from uh, I guess Rodriguez, he has to make about a 30-yard right-handed pass to Armitage. Obviously, it doesn't get there. It bounces. Yeah. Armitage eventually gets it, but he's, he's tackled by the point. But you're just kind of thinking, where's the cut flow edge here? Like, Bogan's yeah. making Blake. Go to him. That's a really interesting point, actually, because you usually expect Chris Ashton to be on his shoulder, because usually that's something that he's so, so good at, is just breaking free and managing to get on the shoulder of the line break. But as you say, Ashton was maybe somewhere to be seen, but you'd expect him maybe on that left-hand shoulder, you're saying where Armitage maybe could have been, that usually you'd expect Ashton to be in places like that. And also because the defence is so... The backfield is, by modern standards, it felt so poorly aligned. Yeah. The fullback was waiting like 30 yards behind the line yeah. and just kind of hovering there, and then he had one winger back as well. And it looked like Foden had so much space when he went through. It almost... It looked like the backfield in like in a, on a football pitch rather than a rugby pitch in the way I'm now used to seeing a rugby pitch set up mm. in that you just had like two defenders back there. 
And so it felt like Foden had all the space in the world and all the time to line up how he was going to get round Rodriguez. But he doesn't. He just charges kind of at him and then throws that long, ambitious pass to, to Armitage. And you think that there are so many options in terms of a chip, in terms of run, just running around them, yeah. just trying to go between the defenders. And he does, and also the the break itself as well is a classic case of rugby in 2011 being in this weird transition phase in which teams knew what line speed was, but they hadn't yet organised defence around it. So they kind of have, it's one of the forwards, I think, I, I think it might be Cabello, shoots up to try and make the tackle on Foden. And he does one step and he's broken the entire line because there's no kind of cover around him. I feel that's so weird you don't see that anymore. Usually, no. if you see a break like that, it's due to their running off the ball rather than receiving mm. the ball and then stepping somebody and going straight through or at least sort of finding a bit of a weak shoulder then an offload. You don't see a clean break like that these days. I think it was second receiver off Wilkinson as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. It exactly... It was Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a beautiful, simple bit of play. I mean, like you say, he just... He spots a hole and... He's, he's you know he's got the fat line in front of him and he just goes goes past him. It's it's fairly simple stuff, and you're, you're absolutely like when you when you when you see that happening, and it's at that point it's even nil nil or it's three nil. You do think how are there only even nineteen or twenty two more points scored in this game because <laughs> yeah. this acting in defence is woeful. Mm. Like, but but somehow both teams kind of conspire to not really test either of their defences. And it kind of goes back to the thing that I think we we both joined in this conversation on Twitter over the weekend, Sam, on that a point a certain a certain Sky Sports commentator saying <laughs> that rugby would be better if we got rid of all analysts and specialist coaches, and that kind of break doesn't happen nowadays because we have those coaches, and I guess that's the point. And the argument people make is that the players don't have flair anymore, like. The players have the flair to step one man in front of them. It just defences are so much better organised than they were then. And I think that's a good thing. And I think actually the fact yeah. that rugby swings between attack and defence being on top is really interesting, is really exciting. And sometimes that means you land on a World Cup where defence is on top. And maybe that's not appetising for some people. But I, I love watching organised defence, so long as it isn't like Argentina blowing it here. <laughs> Do you think that this certain Sky Sports commentator person... <laughs> has like a friend who phoned him in and said like, can you do me a favour and talk about this? Because I've got a decent step, but I've got nothing else. And I want to try and get into the England team. So uh, <laughs> if other teams could stop doing defensive analysis and stuff, I think I'd be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a bizarre, it's a bizarre situation that, I mean, you know, people need to make money in this world and there's not much sport to talk about. So at <laughs> some point you are going to have to make up a completely mad <laughs> point of view and talk about it and so fair play to that particular guy sports commentator <laughs> you know well done and i must admit i have a i have a, a, a kind of a, a close family friend who's who is mm. familiar with him and says he's an absolutely lovely guy so mm. I, I have no doubt about that but that point is completely mad the yeah. idea that that well, i guess for anyone who's not aware the point made was that Actually, you, you talked about it anyway, Bobby. You talked, yeah, to get in there with analysts and, and coaches because the game is too kind of static and no one's creative anymore. But I would challenge anyone to watch this particular game mm. and say that this is better than what we have in 2018. <laughs> I mean, exactly. The amount of, uh, it's not even 2019 anymore, it's like 2020. We, we haven't really had much in 2020, but um, oh. like Wilkinson kicks, I would say more often than he passes. I don't mm. actually know what the stats are for this, but he kicks a lot. There's actually a, a, 
Vamil Gasing, the uh, Russian yes. flatter at this World Cup, was a particular favourite of mine because he. So I, I I know some know someone who works with a, at a team that Russia played at this World Cup, mm-hmm. and uh, he asked me my thoughts on it because I'd done quite a lot of tier two analysis uh, for my uh, my role at, at the Rugby World Cup. And I watched a lot of, of Russian games and mm. watching Ramil Gosing is like watching someone reinvent rugby because <laughs> he kicks almost always, not mm. only more than he passes, but only twice as much as he passes. Yeah. And he's scoring absolutely one to try against Japan, I think, where... Mm. He kicks, gets the ball, kicks a big crossfield kick. The the winger runs on, try, gets tackled just outside the opposition twenty-two. Then Geising's there again, first receiver, kicks another massive crossfield kick <laughs> to the left hand side, where the other winger goes in for the try. <laughs> that is just—I mean, it's, it's like being Tom Brady or something. He's, he's, he stood there in the pocket, pinging balls left or right. <laughs> Can I just say? Yes, you are talking to the right man about Romeo Geisin. Me and Robbie have this conversation a lot, and he very quickly became one of my favourite players, like genuinely in the world over the course of the Rugby World Cup uh, in 2019, which I know isn't the one we're talking about, but that Ireland game where he basically just employed these complete mad, over-the-top shithouse kicking strategies, where every single time he still managed to turn Jordan Lama, I think it was Andrew Conway playing on the wing, who were both quite good at covering kicks, like perfectly adequate at it, and still every single time. And sometimes he'd flatten up and be like, right, I'm going to run it this time then, lads. He'd get the ball and then just kind of shake, like, ha, fooled you all. And <laughs> the analogy I made at the time was that, like, he's the year 11 who's kind of gone and nicked the year 7's ball and has gone to kick it over the hedge every time. Like, that's what Romeo Geising reminds me of. And genuinely, he is one of my favourite players in the world. Yeah. Should we start a podcast dedicated to him? <laughs> I, I, there's not enough niche podcasts out there, and <laughs> I don't see why this one wouldn't be wouldn't be popular. Um, <laughs> I, I do think though, with him, he. I mean, we are dangerously off topic. I, no, I do. I, I have no idea why we're talking about Reggie's I mean, second ten, but I love it. Let's keep it going. Let's let's face it. What is there to talk about in this game? So, yeah, that's true. Exactly. We do have to. We have to fill the time. There was a. Oh, actually, two got two two points. I think what kind of fed that guy seeing and actual less it's saying Kushnil I have um, mm. desire to kick as much as they did is that very first kick in the whole World Cup where is it was it Matsuyama knocked it on? Oh, the, um, the try. it was Will Tupu. Will, Will, Will Tupu not yeah and yeah, yeah. Where, scores. Yes, where he got yeah. on, and I think they went. We have found how we're going to win this World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Seventy kicks, I think, a game, and so you know if, if there must be at least you know maybe sixty-nine of them bounce our way. We <laughs> and my favourite thing about that try is that it's actually quite a bad kick, and it only yeah. works because it's a bad kick and because Tuba is expecting quite a good kick. Yeah. And instead, the kick kind of like floats into this place. It, it would never, no one would ever aim for it to go. And so he knocks it on because he was expecting higher standards in the World Cup. Yes, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's it's like a it's like a knuckleball. It kind of it yes. floats up. It's, it's curling all over the place. No one knows where it's going to come down. He does make a bit of a meal of it, but you know, it's still it's it's a hell of a finish. And I don't think Russia, I, I remember I was keeping track of this because we were mm. doing the. Um, the live stats update, so you, you, you know, we we would send out a 
uh, a WhatsApp saying so and so is now the highest scoring <laughs> winger for Russia in World mm. Cups or whatever. And I kept a running total of the amount of time that Russia hadn't scored for and kept assigning it to a film. And so I think for the scum, so they hadn't scored for the length of the scum. Okay. And then I think we got to, uh, I think we got to back to back Godfathers before they <laughs> hadn't scored. Um, because I, because they didn't, they scored, the, they scored that first try yeah. in the and then they didn't score for the whole rest of that game. Yeah. The second game and the one after that. And maybe they scored in their fourth game. No, they didn't. That was their only try. That was their only try in okay, the World so, Cup. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it was it was 70 minutes in that first game and then 240. So it was 310 minutes, basically, <sighs> that, they, that they didn't score the try, which is, which is brilliant. That's just that's pretty much the length of the last hour of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read that a lot. You're also, and I want to I thank you for this, responsible for my favourite start of the World Cup, which was, you tweeted this in one of your, your really fancy, impressive graphs, oh, that per touch, the most effective player in the World Cup was Chad Plato, the Namibia winger. Yes, he, he, he was. He was he actually for for very nerdy people out there, I've been learning R since since Christmas mm-hmm. and for, for lesson for, for for people who have things and girl things, R is a, is a, a statistical tool that basically allows you to create cool graphs. But um I didn't really know how to use it at this point when I was making this graph and Chad mm-hmm. Plato ruined the graph <laughs> so much better in his uh, on wingers and fullback in his results per touch than anyone else. That you have basically Chad Plato way off in the in the light, and then everyone else in having incoherent blob on the left. <laughs> he was exceptional. But I don't know what's happened to him since. Has he? Has he? Has anyone, has anyone picked him up? I don't think so, because he didn't even play that much for Namibia. Because I was really looking forward to seeing him play each time they came out, and he kind of. I think he played two games. Yeah, I don't remember. Which was a shame because he was fantastic in both of them. Like, he was so good against Italy. I mean, literally, he was so much better than any other player in the world. Best player in the world, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he only played two games. You are, you are like, you mm. play Italy and then where he's got a try, and then South Africa, where they got pretty much uh, decimated. But he is only twenty-two. He's only also mm. only five foot seven. Wow! Wow! Okay. Okay. Yeah, and he's from Swako Swakop Mund. Uh, only just turned 20, 22, Actually, he was wow. uh, twenty-six days ago. And that's all come from the top of your head as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apologies for the slight delay there whilst I try to troll up the uh, chat. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember as they're going. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Should we talk about this game? Yeah, we probably should. Sure, yeah. Although I did, I in a moment of worrying we wouldn't have anything to talk about from this game, I decided to look up what else we could have got up to instead of watching this game that weekend. Yeah, okay. Um, so... I want you both to guess what you think was number one at the top of the charts, the top of the music charts, the number one single in the UK that week, and what was top of the UK box office. Jesus, 2011. September 2011, yeah. I picked a random year to insert there. Yeah. Well, you know if it's 2017, if it's by Ed Sheeran. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2017 I could probably bring to mind. 2011. I mean, we're... Ooh, 2011. Um... It would have been Adele, I reckon. I'm going to say Adele rolling in the deep. Oh, uh, okay. That's given me a benchmark. I'm going to assume, Will, that you know what you talk about. So that's given me a benchmark. So I'm going to go with Taylor Swift, and um, this is where it turns out I don't know any Taylor Swift songs. Twenty one, twenty two, twenty two is the song. It is not there. I'm afraid. Uh, Rolling in the Deep was number 48 in the charts that week. I'll take that. Number one was Moves Like Jagger by Maroon 5. Oh, of course. Which, suddenly, the moment you hear it, makes sense. Oh, and... I mean, that song and that game are quite nice fit, aren't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> quite boring. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, film as well, Jake, 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a here. huge hit. It was a huge hit. You've seen it, I can tell you. Oh, I've seen it. That narrows oh, down to three oh, things. I think I might know this one. Because I, start, I started listening to Commode and Mayo in 2009. Mm. Hello, so it's Jason Isaacs. Yeah. <laughs> For the podcast crossover. I think it might be The Dark Knight. I had The Dark Knight it was 2007, I'm afraid. The Dark Knight Rises was 2012. Um, no, 2008, Dark Knight. Oh, whatever. It, Not that it, No. New releases this week include Friends with Benefits, the rom-com with Mila Kunis and um, Justin Timberlake. By the way, which is sorry, I have a story about that. Once you finish this, uh... okay, okay. My only story about it is that it's directed by Will Gluck, who went on to make the war crime that is Peter Rabbit, starring James Corden. Um, <laughs> Jane Eyre was also new that week. A horror film called Columbiana, which I've never heard of. Starring nope. Zoe Saldana, Troll Hunter, which is a Norwegian film. It's pretty good. Very good, very good film. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Those were, and there was a re-release of Kez that week. Uh, <laughs> but the number one film in the UK that week was the Inbetweeners movie. Oh, <laughs> I have seen that, The Height of Cinema. <laughs> it, it is quite a good movie. I mean, yeah. you know, it is, it is good. There we are. We've avoided talking about the game for about 10, 15 minutes. Do you want to tell your story? Well, it's, it's quite a short story. I, mean, okay. I don't think it shows me in particularly good light. But um, I, around that time, I should have known this actually, because around that time I got a, I was at university in, in East mm. London and there was a very good cinema called the Genesis Cinema, which is mm. in uh, Step Green, which I would encourage you to go to. It's very good. But um, I uh, got a cinema pass that gave me, for like 25 quid, I could go and watch mm. as many movies as I wanted to. Mm. And obviously at university, you have 
endless time. So I went to, I literally went to see about 30 movies a, a month for about yeah. six or seven months. And one of them was Friends with Benefits. And I had no real interest in it, but I, yeah, it was just what, a movie that was out, so I went to watch I, it. I do that every week, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I went I to watch I used it. to do that every week, yeah. It's, I mean, it's great. No. It's a great thing to do. I, I, oh, I watch like, kids' movies, horror movies, yeah. stuff I had no interest in. And most of it was really good, actually. It good it's good. great to find out that like, the Angry Birds movie is actually pretty good. I love yeah. things like that. I love yeah. moments of just going, oh, that's so much better than I expected. Anyway, yeah, sorry, absolutely. continue your story. So I, I I watched it and I was, what was it? 2011, you say? So I was hmm. 19, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember, and it just, it hit a, particular nerve like it just it really spoke to me in a way that shockingly despite the fact it was pretty much released at exactly the same time no strings attached which is mm. natalie portman and um what's his name uh, ashton kutcher ashton kutcher thank you <laughs> that vehicle didn't hit at all uh, and i i have now watched friends with benefits mm. getting on for 15 times <laughs> uh, and i watched it Why? four times in the cinema what yeah. Okay. It just hit, it just hit a nerve. Okay. It just, it okay. Really spoke to me. Okay. Do you wish you watched it instead of watching this game live? <laughs> oh, I mean, I actually, it's actually, it's actually genuinely making me want to watch it again. Now. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation is making me think. I should really go and revisit that. It's been a while. It's on Netflix, I think, as well. So I yeah. The Squidge Rope: The Work at Retrospective, sponsored by Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sponsored by the 2011 film Friends with Benefits, starring Justin Timberlake <laughs> and Maroon Five. <laughs> Yeah, drinking game you can play to uh, you can play along to it, which I I devised where you you drink every time there's obvious project placement, right? Which I mean that alone gets you quite drunk. <laughs> drink every time there's a mobile phone used. Mm-hmm. Uh, drink for the entirety of the time that they have sex and the entirety of the time that they're on the plane. Every time he sneezes. <laughs> that's a, that's a good in joke for. That's that's all I <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I remember right at the start, Emma Stone pops up because she'd been in the director's previous film, Easy A, which is a better film. I mean, which is yes, yeah, I I agree. How many times you see that one then? Um, (laughs) Four. It didn't hit me in the same way. Okay. The problem is, I'm not a teenage girl, but she never was. At heart, I am. (laughs) I am and always have been. (laughs) I have the film taste of a a teenage girl. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah, I watched Clueless again like two weeks ago. I love it. Oh, I'm I also watch- realizing I'm horrifically out of place on this film podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you thought we were here to talk about English teenage, didn't you? It was, uh, that was the boot. I don't know. I came here to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we can go back. So the the very last thing I want to say about things. Yes, it. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's about twenty minutes since we mentioned the game. <laughs> We'll, we'll make our way back. Go on, up. go on. Yeah, <laughs> there's a bit where he he's breaking up with Emma Stone at the start, or she's mm. breaking up with him, whatever. And are you like to swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah this game was it. shit. There you go. Example. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so she um, she shouts down the down the phone, or, or uh, she she shouts something like "John fucking Mayor" down the phone, right? And then uh, a bit later in the movie. That exact same sound clip is used for the in a completely different occasion, but it's exact. That's exact one, hmm, right? And you wouldn't know that if you hadn't watched it fourteen times. <laughs> <laughs> but true. it is it's the same one. Oh, um, okay. 
<laughs> I can provide a segue back onto onto the game if you want. No, no, no. I'd just like to thank everybody for listening. I think this has been a really good episode. <laughs> go on, go on. Segue back onto the game. Yes, I want to see sorry. how you do it. You, you ask. I mean, I say segue. I haven't got a way of segueing back into it. Oh, improv. <laughs> you say, um, you say that you. Um, oh, look, uh, here's a here's a potential segue. Ooh. So there's a um, there's a, a, a West Coast street artist in Things with Benefits called DJ Kali, and someone you might imagine might be a West Coast street artist in the 2011 England team, Delling Armitage. <laughs> So as I say, I really like him. Mm. But he only played in the group stages of 2011 World Cup. And then that was it. They mm. never, never played football again. Which, uh, oh, oh, which oh, I know we moved it too long. And then we all decided that we hated him, didn't we? When he uh, <laughs> waved in the face yeah. of whoever it was in the, in the Championship Cup final. But yeah, he played, played against Argentina, scored a try against Georgia. Came on as a sub against Romania. Played, start, played and started against Scotland. And then that was it. Never, never play wow. Fling again. There's a moment when he, so he does this amazing kind of follow up. He, uh, he chases the high ball. He takes it under load of pressure. It's fantastic, kind of great bit. Yeah. And Nick Mullins says, "Great take by the Irish flyer." Yeah, that then confused he realizes me. what he's said because he, the, the implication is that he should be playing for Ireland. Yeah, and he kind of pauses for a moment before continuing the sentence and say, finishing what he's saying and. Forcing in reference of like, who does this all the time at the Majeski Stadium, which is just off the M4. Starts <laughs> <laughs> basically giving driving directions. <laughs> he becomes Google Earth. It is. Um, I mean, he he he's, he was a really good player, um, hmm. and he actually um, so he scored two tries against Argentina when they play Manchester, which hmm. must have been one of the last games that England. Kind of outside of World Cups <clears throat> played away from Chucking. Yeah. But yeah, he yeah. had a lovely scored try against Wales, Ireland and France back to back in mm. Six Nations in two thousand nine. Mm. But he obviously, you know, he never kind of got further than that. But he's he was a he was a guy that I forgot until I managed to really watch this game. Yeah, I'd forgotten about the whole subplot of him playing on the wing here, that that was a thing that they've been building up to about Mark Quater having not scored in about six decades. So, yeah, there's um, it's not a particularly interesting England team, really, is it? I mean, no, there is, of course, I've got because another notable selection point I wrote down was uh, mm. that Steve Thompson was picked over Dylan Hartley, and yes. I'm a huge fan of Steve Thompson, he might be my favorite English player ever, I think. And something I'd like to talk about was, and clearly so invested yeah. in the game, was his fight with Ledesma. Yes, the thing is. The only downside to that, because, I mean, you spend about 38 minutes or whatever it was thinking, can Thompson just fight Ledesma yet? Can we, can we just <laughs> have that now? And then it finally happens that the two of them start doing it. And clearly, you can tell that going to the fight, they've got so much respect for one another because they're so similar, like, characters and players. And Tom Croft comes in and ruins it. Like, he's about to cut, try and split him up and, like, try and push Ledesma away. And everyone else is like, no, 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 this is great. <laughs> we, bought, we bought tickets. Yeah, <laughs> we've got an audience. <laughs> Is oh, I want a good clean fight. Just touch gloves beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> Have a kiss first. Yeah. That was what Steve Thompson wasn't because he came out of retirement before this World Cup, mm. and he retired on. Uh, so this is all based on uh, articles I read at the time. So I believe all this information is true. <laughs> but, you know, disclaimer. But he um, he came out of retirement, but he he'd been retired on me- medical grounds. And got like an insurance payout, and he had to pay mm. all of that back to be able to play back 
could come back again for oh, the. Oh wow! Really? Did I not didn't know, know that. that. Mm. Hmm. As I said, yeah. <laughs> Basically, stuff I remember, but yeah. I think that's true. In that fight with Ledesma, he ends it by kissing Ledesma on the forehead. And then Ledesma kind of properly looks pissed off at him. Like, that really does it. And he kind of... If it was in the 80s or 90s, Ledesma would have swung for him. Like, Thompson would have left in a body bag. But instead, he kind of gets away with it because Ledesma just forms his fist rather than throwing them. I also just think, as I say, like, there's clearly so much respect between those two players. And Ledesma knows what he's doing, kind of laughs it off. And do you hear... Have you heard what Steve Thompson says on the ref mic? No. That he then says, like, oh, no, he's a legend, mate. He's an absolute legend. Yes. Yeah. Talking about Ledesma. <laughs> there's also the moment, there's a bit of a fight at the end, and we can hear James Haskell in the yes, left mic. dropping a C-bomb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fun moment. And the best thing is, because the commentary is ending there, no one apologises for any language <laughs> caught on the ref mic. Phil Rickery's not going to apologise, is he? It's not his place. No. <laughs> It is odd when they apologise, though. It is. I mean, it's mm. not. It's not Nick Rollins' fault that James Haskell's done that, is it? Really? But no, true, it is, true. It is an odd. It's, also, illegal. The, Sorry, no. I was just going to say the, the odd thing that I must have I forgot about was just how few substitutions there were. Like mm. we are used to basically the second half of games now being kind of a stop start, mm. you know, playing on subs. But England, as you expect, changed. Hartley and Stevens, Matt Stevens came on uh, in the front row. And Tom Palmer, who I absolutely loved because I uh, used to be a Lee's Tykes fan before mm. they became whatever they are, Yorkshire Met University <laughs> yeah. of Lancashire. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he came on. But then, um, but then, uh, and, and Ben Youngs came on at 50 minutes. And obviously, as we know, we'll keep that jersey until you know, 2052. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they didn't change anyone in the back, though. They didn't change yeah. uh, Wilkinson, mm. despite the fact he only got two from seven. They ain't changed Matt Banghang. Which is fair enough. Which is fair enough. Um, but, but you do, it, it's kind of odd that, that there's obviously this change now where if you're on the bench, you're pretty much playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, both teams left, well, actually, Argentina only left one player on the bench. But this World Cup, there were actually quite a few people who didn't make mm. changes. Scotland in the next yeah. game, you know, I don't, I mean, we've already talked about things with Murphy, so I don't want to ruin another game. But against Georgia, they only made two subs. Um, mm. so wow. it, it change yeah yeah and I can remember there was one of the games we talked about before I can't remember which one it was where one of the teams sort of romped the victory and probably scored about 40 points and still didn't make all the subs and that's such a weird thing to think and like you occasionally see in tight games teams maybe leaving their 9 or their 10 on for the full 80 because they trust them a lot more than whoever they've got at the bench is fair enough with Flood but like it's a given that you'll change one of your back row at one point, basically regardless of the quality of who you've got on the bench. And Tom Wood wasn't really a player you wouldn't trust to start this game if somebody pulled out. You wouldn't think you've lost a lot. So that's such a bizarre thing that they didn't bring him on. But yeah. yeah. It was so weird seeing Dan Cole play 80 minutes. Yeah. Like, I couldn't quite get my head around still seeing him on at... Well, yeah, wearing the free jersey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. The other thing about Dan Cole I want to mention is he gets himself simbin because England give away about 16 penalties in a row. And there's a moment in the lead up to that when the referee calls him over and warns them. And then Phil Vickery says on the ref mic, yeah, I know England have just given away five or six penalties, but Argentina have also given away five or six penalties and he hasn't warned them. So, no, he hasn't, though. Like, that, that hasn't happened. <laughs> and I know by the end of the game, the penalty count is fairly even. 
but that hadn't happened. And then when Dan Cole does get binned, he just kind of looks at the referee and it's kind of a, it's almost a fair enough when he walks off. And it's like the, the look he has on his face is the look you get if it's a really nice day and you kind of, you walk over to the bin to put some rubbish in it. And then you realise that that's the dog poo bin and you have to walk an extra 10 yards <laughs> to the actual bin. And it's like, a, oh, that's slightly inconvenient, but I don't really mind. Yeah. Also, right, you could see shots of Martin Johnson looking really, really pissed off about the referee mm. penalising his team. But like, what did he expect when he picked a pack with Steve Thompson, Dan Cole, Lewis Deacon, Courtney Laws, James Haskell and Nick Easter in it? And then he picks, <laughs> what, Dylan Armitage and Chris Ashton on the wings with two Alanya outside centre. What the hell was he expecting? Was he expecting to be squeaky clean, you know? Keep under 10 penalties, lads, you'll be fine. <laughs> it, it was, it was. Uh, I mean, you know, not being an England fan, it, it, it didn't really impact me. But watching that as an England fan must have been absolutely infuriating because mm. the entire first 12, 15 minutes is just penalty against England, yeah. penalty against England, penalty against England. Yeah. Martin Rodriguez misses in 85 yards. <laughs> penalty against England, penalty against England. And it's just endless. And it's, mm. they're just slightly different. So the first three are all offside. And then they just, they just slightly change what they do. Sometimes they're going off their feet yeah. and look. Sometimes they're, going, they're coming in the side. And then mm. they go back to being offside again. And they just barely up a little bit. But it's just constant. And this time Rodriguez is getting a buggy out the ground. To see if he can kick it over from outside. <laughs> Forget about the roof. Yeah, he's There's going to the off island to go and kick it back. <laughs> <laughs> There's one penalty where Andrew Sheridan managed to do all of the things you've just listed. That he comes from an offside position, he doesn't walk around all the way, comes in the rook at the side, then goes off his feet, he rips the ball back, and then kind of rolls and lays on the floor in the way of the tackler, or the way of the scrum half either. And yeah. it's, it's remarkable, he gives away every single penalty. If he could have just somehow been offside from a kick in the middle of that, he would have called full house. <laughs> Yeah, it, it does make me think when I when I watch that that mm. actually the the ability of a team to not give away penalties when they're not under pressure because mm. most of those first ones by by England, but apart from maybe the one that Conchpeni actually kicks, but most of them they're not living under any pressure mm. as we know from Rodriguez, you know, kicking from <laughs> Saturn or whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever we've exchanged it to now, but they're not living under pressure, and I think that actually kind of retrofit in this. That that's probably quite a good indicator of how good your team are. Is mm-hmm. if they if they don't because penalty counts are kind of misleading or can be because you're probably yeah. better off giving a penalty in your own five yards than you are, you know, letting someone get quick ball or, or yeah. whatever. But yeah. those penalties when you're not under pressure is probably a good indicator of whether the team's going to do well or not. And obviously, England in this World Cup didn't do well um, <laughs> or, you know, by their own measurements didn't do well. But I, yeah, I think I think that's probably quite a good indicator. Yeah. And I think both of these teams are full of good players, but they're not really good teams. I think this Argentina team was stronger, but they didn't know how to win. They didn't have that kind of instinct. And yet they they managed it against Scotland. But you kind of felt they just didn't... Either they didn't back themselves, or they backed themselves too much in that they kept giving Rodriguez kicks from, as you say. If not, not, not Saturn, then certainly Jupiter. Um, <laughs> then... That they they either had too much confidence or not enough in every single part of the field. And also, the, the thing I've got written down in my notes in all caps is that if your kicker is two from six, why do you then give that shot to him and not one of the three other goal kickers yeah. in your team? 
got Bosch and Fernandez both yeah. playing. And Tiazi can kick goals as well. Not well, but still. He's an emergency <laughs> option. There's also this... Well, I mean, Rodriguez can't kick well. I didn't stop him giving to him, did it? There's a bit as well where, having seen his team miss how many of it kicks, Horatio Aguja goes for a drop goal. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, it is, it's just... Well, to give the to give the dick of the day that you, hmm. you, you, you've you asked me to come up with, yes. it has to go to, first of all, Contrapone, and then <laughs> Ledesma for keeping on deciding that this was a good idea. And then also Santiago Filang for the half-time not going, like, who was a, who was a coach, for not going, like, yeah. stop doing this. Like, <laughs> stop trying these ridiculous kicks at goal that are never going to work. Stick it in the corner and see what happens. But it was just like you say at the start. It was the Einstein thing: keep on kicking, and you know that's just that's that's a mark of insanity. And I do think that's why Argentina lost this game. Mm-hmm. Um, they just did not change that that mindset. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I think you've brought us really neatly round to yeah. the man of the match and dick of the day. My dick of the day to land it. Well, okay. So I've got I've got another contender for man of the match, which is at some point, at one point during the game, there is a streaker who runs onto the pitch <laughs> and. He is my man of the match, and he also contains my dick of the day. Does he have? He is in possession of my <laughs> dick of the day. He's holding it in his hand. No, he isn't. Can you imagine? And if he was, he'd then see Dylan Hartley on the bench and be done. So I, the other, the other content of a dick of the day, though, really is Martin rodriguez Garachaga? who, yeah. I mean, yes, they're all really difficult shots, but A, he, miss, he misses five of them, and B, there's two overlaps, or there's two chances as well, where he just oh, doesn't God. pass. Yeah. There's like a really nice break he makes, and all he has to do is drift back inside and give the pass, and I think it's a Guzho or Camacho, whoever's on his shoulder, scores in the corner, and it's an easy enough try, and he doesn't, he just takes contact, and he does yeah. something similar as well, where he just blows an opportunity. And I think that tipped me over the edge. And I think he is Dick of the Day. I will also say that earlier in the day when I was watching this game, I texted you, Robbie, saying, I'm 22 minutes in and I already have four nominations for Dick of the Day. <laughs> um, so I'm going to quickly run through them all. Okay. So one of them was Phil Vickery for just generally not really understanding impartiality as much as I do like him. One of them was Johnny Wilkinson for being the guy who doesn't miss a kick goal and missing loads of kicks at goal. So there's a moment just on the, the Wilkinson thing when he yeah. nails the conversion of Ben Young's try. Nick Mullins goes, he's done it! He's done it! Yeah. He's done it! And it's between the both. <laughs> Maybe the greatest goal kicker of all times kicked the easiest goal you can <laughs> kick on a pitch. And he's yeah. screaming it as though he's just, he's, he's nailed a shot from his own half. So he's Paul Forbin. Yeah. Another nomination I had was Mike Tyndall because of the mm. amount of times that uh, Bryce Lawrence warned him and he still just did nothing. He didn't talk to his players whatsoever. And just like, you know what, I'll give away more penalties if you want. It's fine. The last one before my actual dick of the day is one that, this is my favourite of the lot. So with about with two minutes to go, Argentina tried to play with 16 men. What? They brought on Mariana Galazza and tried to just leave Leguizamon on. And then, so my other nomination for Dick of the Day is Bryce Lawrence for being a grass and sending Leguizamon <laughs> off and saying, no, 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 you have to go off. You, you can't do it. You can't play with 16 men. So yeah, Leguizamon had to walk off behind the dead ball line because Argentina <laughs> just tried to see if they could just leave him on. And they hid him out like in the back line. 
to see if they could get away with it uh, for the last two minutes, and obviously they didn't. So, but no, uh, my actual dick of the day was, of course, for again missing five shots at goal, <laughs> not passing the ball on that heavy overlap, just not tackling, not really doing anything. Is of course Martin Rodriguez. <laughs> I, I I think I I I agree with you. I mean, I I chose the people who kept giving him the ball, but in, in hindsight. He's probably like, um, you know, t- to be one of those people who has the confidence to go, yeah, no, I'll, I'll take this on. Like, just well done him. I mean, well <laughs> yeah, done. To just true. keep going, yeah, well, I'll give it a go. Why not? Why not? I mean, just there's just not there's not enough people, I don't think, in the world who are just there, who are willing to go, well, I don't know how to do it, but yeah, I'll give it a go. Like, <laughs> yeah, fine. and That'd yet there's too many people who go, yeah, I'll give it a go, and then only manage it two times out of seven. That's very true. Um, should I quickly do my man of the match? Yes. Even though there isn't really. I mean, it was <laughs> difficult to pick one because, I mean, I think Ben Foden had a pretty good game. Mostly, yeah. well, I say good game. I mean, he didn't really fuck up at all when a lot of other players did. I think Leguizamon also had a very good game for Argentina. And if I was the commentator on this game, I wouldn't give this player man of the match. But in the spirit of what we're doing, I'm going to give it to Ben Youngs because he's yeah. the guy who turned the game by coming off the bench. And like the first thing he did was he took that quick tap, gave yeah. England an extra 10 yards or so, and they got a penalty by catching Argentina in the back foot. And that's really the only time anyone injected any pace in the whole game, really. And I feel like if, and not just for his try, but if England never brought him on, they wouldn't have won that game. Um, and they would have just tried giving Argentina more chances to get into the game and get further in the lead. So yeah, I'm going to say Ben Youngs was the player who had the biggest impact on the game. And of course, for that performance, which Eddie Jones still will back him up as... Oh, no, 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 mate, no, mate. Forget about the World Cup final. He played really, really well off the bench in his game against Argentina in 2011. So, yeah. No, I completely agree that that was... Ben Youngs was one player whose contributions were objectively always positive. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to say after his last yeah, I was going to say, you're okay, you're okay. But, <laughs> yeah. Hearing you say those words. But he was, no, he came on, he was exactly what England needed. And if he'd come for Argentina, on for Argentina, they would have won the game. Yeah, agreed. He was kind of, he was the difference. He came on, as you say, he injected that pace, he did that quick tap. He made this other kind of half break. He made some nice little sort of, those, as we mentioned on like a previous episode, those kind of sniping runs that Scrum off did at the time, that kind of Mike Phillips style where they, they yeah, took yeah, it yeah. to the fringe and offloaded. Uh, he did, he did a that monstrous really cross kick for Chris Ashton. At the he end. did. He did a yeah, a really lovely cross kick. I thought he came on and was the best player on the pitch. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, for, for me, it was between Ben Youngs. I, there's quite a nice parallel between Ben Youngs. I, he obviously wasn't starting his career here, but this, mm. is, this is his first World Cup. But him coming on, sealing the victory, and then becoming England's number one. But I, I, for me, it was it was Deli Armitage, who was kind of on the other way. Really, I, I, he wasn't exceptional in this game, but it, it really it was it was nice to be the minded about him. Yes. Really. and yeah. I was a big fan of how he played, and also that as as Ben Youngs's star ascended, Deli Armitage's well, England style at least descended. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, it, objectively, it's Ben Youngs. But I want to <laughs> throw my hat in the ring for Deli Armitage. Yeah. And you're well within your rights to do that. And also him taking that bomb from Wilkinson near the end that you were on about earlier. Mm. I think that is like that was one of the more positive things anyone did all game. That everyone was sort of faffing around the whole time. And then he took that so well. And he was so far above anybody else in the air. And you're right, that was like such a momentum swinger at that point. Um, I know I know you've just started talking about the game again. But <laughs> I was actually quite excited because that meant we had a chance to actually end 
and make sure we can never I never think about this game again because we're very close to an end. What films has everyone been watching recently, by the way? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> has anyone got any good album recommendations? <laughs> Sam, thank you very much for joining us. Is there Thanks, anything you Sam. want people to to look out for, or anything you want to plug, or whatever? Oh, um, well, I mean, the the lack of the beer scuppered mm. my uh, output <laughs> at the moment. But <laughs> follow me on on Twitter at Sam L stands up. Normally, I'm disagreeing with people, but sometimes there's stuff people <laughs> agree with, and sometimes, as as Lovey mentioned at the start, there are some uh, nice graphs and stuff that I put out mm. as well. But yeah, or you can you can go and type my aiming uh, and look at the world stuff and uh, send emails to them telling me tell them I'm good and that they should continue to employ me when the lobby comes back on. <laughs> I'll, I'll be doing that. Of that. <laughs> that's I'll tell them that you know when Chad Plato's birthday is or something as you just said. <laughs> I don't know that's all from the dome. Oh yeah, can I also just say happy birthday to Chad Plato as well? <laughs> <laughs> six, six days late but still. Happy birthday. <laughs> Tune. <laughs> yeah, to play us out. <laughs> Happy birthday to Chad Plato. Uh, Chad, we know you're listening. <laughs> yeah, better be listening. Does he have? A, does he have Twitter? I don't know. I'm I good. don't know. Should we, <laughs> Should we find I thought out? You knew all of Chad Plato's inner works. <laughs> he does have Twitter. Should we all oh. follow him now? Live. Wait, he's only so you only got four follow. followers. He has no. He joined in January 2020. He's got five followers now. I'm going to follow He's him now as well. At Plato Chad. Okay. Um, He's got seven on Inst- or 700 on Instagram, which I've just followed him on. <laughs> He's going to go this random <laughs> By the way, if you're listening, go and follow at, what was it, Plato Chad. At Plato Chad. Yeah, go follow him now. And also, if you've got any thoughts on this game, send them to at Izzy Falau, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I... I'm gonna put an end to this. I'm gonna I'm gonna call time. We we're done. We can't let this go on for longer than the Inbetweeners movie, the number one movie in the week of Argentina v England, the opening game of the movie. I didn't even mention the advert I want to talk about, but I'm sure that'll play again. We'll talk about that another time because I need this to end. Who'd have thought we had so much to talk about in this game? We've done over an hour on the dullest game of rugby in this World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, thank you very much. Well, Thanks, thank Sam. you very Thanks much. Me. And thank you very much for you listening. Good night. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.